right, folks. Welcome to the Smart Ass Historian. It's going to get me used to saying that. Yeah. Uh, I am, as always, the Great White Snark, Scotty J. Seated with me is the Reverend Jeff. How's it going? Are you ready to start this new venture? Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, you know what I watched the other day? I watched it before, but I watched it again. Uh, for those of you who have Netflix, there's this really great movie on it called Dolomite Is My Name. I've never seen that. It's got Eddie Murphy playing Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> you know who Rudy Ray Moore is. Mm-mm. Rudy Ray Moore was this comedian back during like the 70s who became famous doing this act that he picked up off of, of Street Bumps. Okay. Where they would do, you know, like, I got kicked out of Africa for fucking the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> These hobos would come in and do, like, this this rap style uh, joke telling. Mm-hmm. And Rudy Ray Moore was working at a, he was working at a, a record store and he was also MC at a local club, and he wanted to get famous. Okay. So he found this bum who would come into the store, and he paid the bum money and recorded their rapping, their their style of joke telling. Okay. And then he polished it up and created this pimp character named Dolomite. <laughs> and he w- he got famous doing this. Dolomite? I'm 50% Dolomite. Yeah. Well... The thing is, is they all, they go into how he created the character Dolomite and got famous on the road, and doing the the first Dolomite movie. Yeah. And the character of Dolomite was, <laughs> he was a pimp who had kung fu fighting horse. <laughs> and it was like during the height of black exploitation films. Yeah. And nobody wanted to show this movie. So, he basically started putting the movie... He did a midnight showing, and it sold out. Like, Mm. people in the neighborhood just was crazy for this movie. And he got the idea. They went and saw a movie, and and he's sitting there with his buddies in the movie. His friends were played by uh, Craig Robinson Mm -hmm. and Mike Epps. And they went to see this one movie, and his, (laughs) his white woman turned around and told him to shush, and Mike Epps goes... You shush, bitch. <laughs> but they made a movie. They, they come out of the theater and goes, there ain't no black people in the movie, there ain't no titties, and there's no explosions. <laughs> so they made Dolomite the way that they wanted to see it, with titties and explosions and car chases. I like a movie where it makes you think and all that stuff. But I want to, like, sometimes... I just want to turn my brain off and see some titties and explosions. Oh yeah, and some shoot 'em up. Well, you know? I got um, I got the Tubi app for my um, from PlayStation Four, mm-hmm. and they have the Dolomite movies on Tubi. Oh shit! So one day I'm gonna sit because I watched it with Alex, and he at, at the end of Dolomite, they actually or Dolomite is my name. They actually put on like scenes from the original Dolomite movie. Yeah. So Alex was like, Dad, is this really a movie? I'm like, yeah, this is really a movie, Alex. It's like Blackula. Blackula. Uh, Superfly is on Netflix. Yeah. The original Superfly. Oh, man. Oh, I did get to see the movie Joker. Okay. 
not really as great as everybody's touting. You know, I, for an origin movie... The best movie, part of the movie is like the last 20 minutes. Yeah. When, think, when he shoots the... Uh, yeah, when he's like not such a wine ass. Right, and like I said, you know, I mean, for an origin movie, it's good. For a possible origin <laughs> to the Joker, it's good. I, I found the laugh really forced. Yeah. Really forced, and it was not believable. And it was fake as hell, and it just... I just like the fact that... When I, just he, when did, he, I didn't like his laugh. When he shot the guy in the apartment, he let the he let the little yeah, fellow go, because yeah. he's like, you know what? You've been nice to me. Yeah, exactly. You can leave. And I'm just like, that's the Joker. Yeah, because, yeah, I would have hated him a lot more if... Uh, oh, yeah, if he shot the yeah, little dude. Yeah, I mean, I would I would have been pissed off if he would have not let him go. I mean, because that dude didn't do anything to him. Well, before we get going, I have to thank my friend Howard for coming up with the name for the show. Yeah. Yeah, he what, was, We had a conversation about that. Shouldn't we have... I was thinking we were calling... We should call it something else, but... Well, yeah, well, Howard, Howard on uh, his Facebook page, he was talking to one of his friends. He goes, I listen to the smart-ass historian in Illinois. Yeah. So I was like, smart-ass historian, that works. Yeah. So, um, over the summer, I noticed usually around July I take a break from reading all the Civil War books that I do. I, yeah, I don't believe that shit, but <laughs> go ahead with your lie. <laughs> I don't know what I call it. I just know the sound it makes when you lie. <laughs> no, I, I do. I, I take a break and I read something pertaining to the American Revolution. <laughs> like last year I read uh, Founding Brothers and this year it was Revolutionary Summer. Liars make baby Jesus cry. <laughs> And I take a month off and then I go back to reading the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I was reading this book, uh, which became a lot of the basis for this episode. This, this book Your ass out. is going to end up getting caught up in some, like, uh, Tales from the Crypt. Fucking, <laughs> like, Dark Side, uh, like, uh, what is it? Tales from the Dark Side. Tales from the Dark Side, Twilight Zone type <laughs> shit. Or you're, like, running through a fucking cotton field all, like... Be like, why is that shoe polish all over me? You're gonna be running from the man. <laughs> I was just probably gonna reminds me of that um, that one skit that uh, Eddie Murphy and Stevie Wonder did when he was on the was on Saturday Night Live, Cottonland. Oh yeah, come on down to Cottonland. <laughs> yeah, it was it was all run by black people, but white people would sell themselves into slavery for two weeks. <laughs> So, yeah. so they could get the experience. Yeah. That was horrible. No, there was a lady who goes, well, in the mornings we pick cotton, and at nights we have a campfire and sing old Negro songs. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that would be one of the songs. <laughs> Sometimes we get sold down the river. Waiting <laughs> yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I read this book, Revolutionary Summer, and I came across something in this book that made me go, well, wait, this looks like it could be its own story. Mm-hmm. And I kind of kind of did some digging on this guy, and, and this this guy sounded like pretty interesting. His name is uh, John Dickinson. Okay. 
he's when it comes to the founding fathers there's like everyone believes as there's a core six and then you got some founding uncles but then like the rest of the membership is mixed up and then some founding cousins right because <laughs> it's like anybody who signed the declaration and or the constitution yeah gets declared a founding father but there's like six that everybody can agree on. Uh, Washington, mm-hmm. John Adams, yep. Thomas Jefferson, yep. James Madison. Yep. So right there, you got your first four presidents. Yep. Ben Franklin, definitely. And Supreme, the first Supreme Court Justice John Jay. Okay. Then after John Jay, it kind of gets a little murky, and you know. You'll see other names pop up and names taken off. But, like, those six are what everybody can agree upon. And Dickinson is, like, one of these that comes after John Jay. Uh, you can't forget Frederick Douglass. <laughs> He's later. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they had black people there. They were just polishing up after all the white people. Yeah. So John Dickinson, he was born either on November 2nd or November 13th, 1732. We're not exactly sure on his birth date. Oh, shit. Well, there's, I found like there's a lot of the founding fathers are like that because they went, like, at one point in their lifetime, they went by one calendar. Yeah. And then they switched to a different calendar, which added some more days onto it. So then their mm-hmm. birthday gets moved like a couple weeks. They're like, you're not 45, you're 65. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, sir, if you go by this birth date here, you're 26. But if you go by this one over here, you're 27. Well, if they change the calendar, then you'd have to recalculate yeah. your whole, how many years you were alive. So Right, so that's, so you that's why you from, had that like two weeks. Like if you were 50 years old, you could literally go to 60. Yeah. Or down to 40, right. you know. Yeah. Depending yeah. on which way the calendar. I think they said they switched to Julian, so the Julian added, like, two weeks. I thought, I thought it was, like, a, like a month or... It depends. Like yeah. So, when you get to the founding files, like, you're not really sure where the birth date falls. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Dickinson's either November 2nd or the 13th. And he was born on the family plantation of Crocidor, near the village of Trap in Talbot County, Maryland. The one everyone named their house. Get a big old plantation house, he gave it a name. Oh, yeah. Well, Mount Vernon, Monticello, Montpelier. Yeah. Now, the family lived there since his great-grandfather came over to Virginia in 1654. The family grew tobacco on the plantation, where each generation later added acres of land to the plantation. Now, John was one of nine children born to his parents. The three oldest sons died of smallpox while in England getting an education. Hmm. Oh, smallpox was a bitch back then. Oh, yeah. You know, and that was like in the early days of immunization, where basically... They took a body that had smallpox mm-hmm. and like scraped some of the pus off of them. Yeah. And then they cut you open and put that pus into you to kick in your antibodies. 
You want to see a really good scene about it? Look, uh, watch uh, the HBO miniseries John Adams. No, thank you. I already have enough shows. <laughs> I get enough history from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do watch the history shows. I just well, I can't possibly add another show. Well, there's a scene in John Adams where Abigail gets the children. My wife has already snuck in like three different shows about uh, first responders. There's 911, uh, SWAT, and uh, what's the other one? Chicago Med. No, no, no. Chicago Fire. 911, SWAT, and uh, The Rookie. Oh. So you got the cops, the firemen, and. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and she's getting ready to add another one. What's that one? Uh, uh, the Texas one? Yeah, 911, uh, Texas, or whatever. Huh? Lone Star, yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna have four first first just maybe four she's, shows about first responders. Maybe she's trying to tell you something. I don't know. I don't know what she's trying to be telling me. <laughs> like she likes firemen and cops. Well, they don't like each other. <laughs> so John was educated at home by his parents and tutors they hired to educate him. Tutors. Yeah. When you had like. Wicked Ichabod Crane coming and going, yeah. All right, you're going to learn your grammar today. Now, when he was 18, he began to study law in Philadelphia under John Moland, and in 1753, he went to England to study at the Middle Temple and returned in 1757 to pass the Pennsylvania bar and became a lawyer and a collector. So easy to be a lawyer back in those days. Oh, yeah, you're just like, Hey, I'm a lawyer. Well, yeah, you could, you could like... You, you read a couple of books and you're like, I'm a lawyer now? Right. You could, you, you <laughs> just went to a lawyer in town and went, hey, I want to study under you. Or like, you know, to be a doctor, you're like, you, did you read the three books that we got? <laughs> oh, okay, now you're a doctor. Yeah. No medical board. <laughs> like a lawyer, like, oh, here, you got to read this book, this book, and this one. Make Mrs. Smith drink this bottle of syrup, and then she just go home and rest. And there you go. That's your your given medicine. I mean, because it's like this snake oil crap. Yeah, like, yeah. Give it to tell tell her to rub it. I on got her right back. here the answer and the cure. Yeah, everybody's got a handy dandy cure. What ails you for everything from baldness to rheumatism? Right. So, in protest to the Townsend Acts, Dickinson published letters from a farmer in Pennsylvania. Now, first published in the Pennsylvania Chronicle, Dickinson's letters were reprinted by numerous other newspapers and became one of the most influential American political documents prior to the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. So that's back in the day when you could, like, the government did something, you, you just write a little pamphlet, print it up, and just hand it out to people. Yeah, because there was enough people that would actually probably reach everybody. Oh, yeah. Now you could, that would take a lot no, now you just go on Facebook. An online campaign of, you know... Either go on Facebook or you sit on the toilet and tweet. Yeah. Now, Dickinson argued that Parliament had the right to regulate commerce, but lacked the right to levy duties for revenue. He further warned that if the colonies acquiesced to the Townsend Acts, Parliament would lay further taxes on the colonies in the future. Don't do it! They'll tax us more, fuckers. Yeah. See, see this right here? No. 
Now, on July 19, 1770, he married Mary Norris, who was from an influential Quaker family. Now, Mary, who was known as Polly, was a well-educated woman who had many real estate holdings and a 1,500-volume library. Wow. Oh, yeah, an educated woman back then. She's lucky she didn't get burned. She some money back then. Didn't get, to she, have that, 1,500 books. Right, you're lucky she didn't get burned at the stake. Yeah. For being educated. Yeah. She's a witch. She's a witch. Burn her. Burn her. First, let's dunk her in the water, then we'll burn her. <laughs> well, Polly was a Quaker, but John never joined the Society of Friends, is what they were called. Yeah. I actually passed the Quaker house in Philadelphia. Nice place. Mm. Okay, he, belie- he believed in lawfulness of defensive war. Now, the couple had five children, but only two girls survived till adulthood. Well, shit. Now, he was one of the delegates from Pennsylvania to the First Continental Congress in 1774 and the Second Continental Congress in 1775 and 1776. In support of the cause, he continued to contribute declarations in the name of Congress. Now, he wrote the Olive Branch Petition as the Second Continental Congress's last attempt for peace with Britain. This was like, everyone's like going, okay, man, let's let's try peace one, let's give peace one more chance. He goes, yeah. right. Well, the thing is, is King George III didn't even read the petition. No. That ain't going to help nobody. <laughs> King George was like, eh, fuck it. I was elected to... Lead, not to read. <laughs> God, where's that from? The Simpsons movie? Yeah. <laughs> Wolf Castle becomes president. Oh, yeah. He's like, I was elected to lead, lead not, not to read. read. I picked number three. But through it all, George, okay, but through it all, agreed with Newcastle counties, George Reed, and many others in Philadelphia and the lower counties. Dickinson's object was reconciliation, not independence and revolution. He was a proud devotee of the British Constitution and felt the dispute with Parliament. If he felt that the dispute was only with Parliament, not with the King. So when the Continental Congress began to debate on the Declaration of Independence on July 1st, 1776, Dickinson reiterated his opposition to declaring independence at the time. And there, there was a bunch in the Congress that was like, um, we shouldn't do this. <laughs> no. Then you have the hotheads over there going, yes. No. Now, Dickinson believed that Congress should complete the Articles of Confederation and secure a foreign alliance before issuing a declaration. He also objected to violence as a means for resolving the dispute. Now, he abstained or absented himself from the votes on July 2nd that declared independence and absented himself again from voting on the wording of the formal declaration on July 4th. He understood the implications of his refusal to vote by stating, My conduct this day, I expect, will give the finishing blow to my once too great and my integrity considered now too diminished popularity. He didn't like that shit. Oh no. 
So he refused to sign the declaration, and since a proposal had been brought forth and carried that stated, for our mutual security and protection, no man could remain in Congress without signing, so Dickinson formally left and joined the Pennsylvania militia. He was just like, okay, if you want me to, you know, I'm not going to sign this paper, but I'll go fight instead. Yeah. He, he, he. And didn't he just say he didn't believe in fighting? He, well, the Quakers don't, but he, he, yeah, he wasn't into violence, but he's just like, well, you left me no choice. And you know everyone was sitting at Connors going, what the fuck is he going to do? So he just, he was saying he didn't want to fight. He just wanted to use diplomacy. And they didn't want to use diplomacy, so he just decided to fight. Well, he didn't agree with the diplomacy they were using. Well, yeah, but. So he's just like, fuck it, I'll grab a gun and go shoot him. Okay. Hey, like I said, you know everyone in Congress was sitting there going, what the fuck is he going to do now? What a hypocrite. Well, what, what's he going to do? John... What you do? <laughs> okay, so John Adams, who was a fierce advocate for independence and Dickinson's adversary on the floor of Congress, remarked, Mr. Dickinson's alarcity and spirit certainly becomes his character and sets a fine example. So following the Declaration of Independence, Dickinson was given the rank of Brigadier General in the Pennsylvania Militia, known as the Associators. Now he led 10,000 soldiers to Elizabeth, New Jersey to protect the area against the British attack from Staten Island. But because of his unpopular opinion on independence, two, two junior officers were promoted over him. Oh shit. The first example of politics plays in, in the military, you know? <laughs> oh, what? You don't agree with what we're doing? Guess what, fucker? You're not getting promoted. Hmm. And you know, Washington was sitting there going, oh, Jesus, him? Uh, who's under him this week? Oh, Bobby J? All right, well, Bobby's going to become a get promoted now. Now, the Continental Congress attempted to make national a government, attempted to make a national government with a binding constitution. Now, Dickinson felt that this should have been done before making the declaration. Well, shit. For five days in late July and early August of 1776, he chaired a 13-man committee to draft the Articles of Confederation. Now, his draft, called the Dickinson Draft, was submitted to the committee for discussion. No, no version of this draft exists, and the only way we know about it is from the letters and personal notes of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. I've got to see the Articles of Confederation in D.C. It's nice. It's faded because yeah. of the preservation techniques before these new cages, but... Yeah. You know, you didn't really see what these guys were trying to attempt. Hmm. Now, Dickinson referred to the new nation as a confederation, but that meaning referred to a loose alliances, alliance of sovereign states. But then in Article 2, he refers to the new nation as 
colonies that have joined in one body politic, and again in Article 3 that each state was its own sovereign state. Hmm. Make up your mind. Are we one... And this idea of sovereign states will play out later in our country. Yeah. Because there's people who still believe that we're sovereign states. Yeah. Fucking idiots. Bada bing, 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 bing. So the only restriction he made on Congress was the inability to impose taxes or levies on the states... But in Article 19, he said the only thing Congress had the power over was foreign policies. The Articles was like a really weak attempt with the government. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's why they they always taught us in history class, like, well, we have the Declaration of Independence. Then we made the Articles of Confederation, but they really didn't give us any powers to do much. So that's why we made the Constitution. Well, you don't hear anybody going, but the Articles of Confederation say. <laughs> oh, there's a few people I've come <laughs> well, across. Well, yeah, but I'm, yeah, there's a, always a few, but I've, I don't hear. Oh no. Now, during these these debates, the sectional differences that would first that would plague the country until the end of the Civil War first made their appearance. Because you can't get North and South sitting together and expect them to behave. Mm-hmm. Now, in Article 12 of the Dickinson Draft, he proposed the expenses for the war and the general welfare shall be defrayed out of a common treasury, which shall be supplied by the several colonies in proportion to the number of inhabitants of every age, sex, and quality, except for Indians. Yeah, except for Indians. That's even in the Constitution. Now, the argument being debated was how to include slaves. Were they people or were they property? Now, the South said that they were property just like live sheep, but Ben Franklin made a joke saying sheep would never revolt. Uh... Yeah, sheep would probably never revolt, but I mean... <laughs> I, I, yeah. I've never seen sheep gather up arms and, you know, revolt against a farmer for fucking them too much. Well, uh, black people could, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I averaged it out because I was doing a script for uh, Unreconstructed talking about slave revolts. And I think since 1811, between 1811 and 1859... We averaged a slave revolt about every 10 to 20 years. Mm. And there's four major ones in the U.S. that are like 10 to 20 years apart from each other. Yeah. No, no, not 10. About 9 to 10 years we averaged a slave revolt. Mm. But no sheep revolt. No. They never bitched about us taking the wool. No. <laughs> or or killing them and turning them into yeah, food. Yeah, chops or anything. Right. Or rack of lamb. You know, none of that. They never bitched once. Now, the South had said, if slaves are going to be counted as people, they're going to withdraw from the Continental Congress. Excuse me, there is a message for you. 
man, you rolling your eyes on that one. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. That's a common phrase that comes up through the... Yeah, I'm sure. Now, to make them stay, the committee placed the word white before inhabitants. But this made the North react by saying the South was trying to get out of paying their fair share. Now, this argument would be decided in the Constitution when slaves are counted as three-fifths of a person for representation purposes. All right. Now, during these debates... Okay, sorry. I had to remember where we go. Okay, so the next argument came over Article 18, which was based on how the Continental Congress voted, which they wanted one state, one vote. Now, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts liked the voting to be based on population, but the smaller states felt that this style would drown their voice out as the larger states would get their way. You know, the big state, small state vote. Which doesn't mean shit. Well, back then it did because you had states like, uh, you know, like Delaware and Rhode Island, which were small in population. Yeah, but that doesn't matter if you just count a vote for a vote. Right. I mean, ten people in the room, if six people vote for the guy, they win. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, I don't even know why the electoral, you know, like that even matters. I'm going to look into it. The more wins, you know. And Well, the smaller states won that argument. Yeah. Now, the next argument came in how powerful the new government would be. Now, this is in reference to the western borders along the mountains. Some states had charters that listed their borders at the Mississippi River, and some, like Virginia, had their border all the way to the Pacific. Yeah, if you kind of look at some of the early maps of, like, the colonial period, you see, like, Virginia's got this huge fucking strip across the country. Yeah. Which would put some of, like, our area, I think area south of us, like, Kentucky and Tennessee, it was all Virginia. Hmm. <laughs> Virginia's like, fuck y'all! We want it! Is this when the gerrymandering comes into play? Oh, gerrymandering comes in later. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But but see, the the British Crown wouldn't let the colonies go past the Appalachian Mountains, so everything was like compacted between the mountains and the Atlantic. Oh yeah, we haven't even become a country yet, really. So that's that why, point. you know, when we won the. Revolutionary War, we were able to move past mm-hmm. the mountains. Because if that would have been the case, you know how crowded the East Coast would have been? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you think Chicago's bad on violence? No shit. So, Thomas Jefferson was ordered by the Virginia government to make sure that no one touched their border. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, the committee could not decide if the state or federal government had the right to decide the borders of the states. Eventually, this was given over to the federal government to decide. So, on January 18, 1779, Dickinson was appointed to be a delegate for Delaware to the Continental Congress. Now, during this term, he signed the Articles of Confederation, 
and because he authored the first draft in 1776. Now, in 1781, while still a delegate in Philadelphia, he learned that Popular Hall, which was his his plantation that he had, or his home that he had with his wife, had been severely damaged by a Loyalist raid. Now, he returned to the property to investigate the damage, and he stayed there for, se- for several months. And he was probably overseeing the construction, you know. I didn't like that room anyway. Here, I'm going to make it bigger. Well, while he was there in October of 1781, he was elected to represent Kent County in the State Senate, and shortly after, afterwards, the Delaware General Assembly elected him the president of Delaware. 1812 is when that comes into play. Gerrymandering? Yeah. All right, you're just giving us another topic I can write about. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm trying to pare down a, a 35-page thesis for this show. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we'll expand on that one. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about later when we go to make that. Oh, yeah. Gerrymandering is on the list. I, I've got a few other... Well, that that show would encompass also, I would think, um, uh, Electoral College. Yeah. And all the other stuff. Because I do believe that most people don't really know... Everybody says that there's voter suppression and stuff, but most people don't know how that even happens, or they think it's a hoax. And, you know, when we cover those subjects... I mean, oh, yeah, they, voter suppression happens. I know the know ones in what, Reconstruction. What actually happened. I know it happens yeah. today, too. Oh, yeah, I know. And people don't think it does. Unless you're in Chicago and, you know, the dead vote. Yeah. Yeah. Or, that you, get, or you get that guy... Uh, uh, Dennis Haas or whatever the the pimp from uh, Nevada from the the Bunny Ranch that won yeah <laughs> he he won on the Republican ticket and he had died like two weeks before right the well the, they could take his name off the ballot by then yeah the, the, yeah he won like uh, he won the race and he died like two weeks earlier or something like that it's really weird. I think a weekend that Bernie's him. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching that show the bun- you know, on HBO about the Bunny Ranch. And he was the owner of it. Okay, so the General Assembly's vote was nearly unanimous, and the only dissenting vote had been cast by Dickinson himself. Yeah. <laughs> no! I don't want to run you people! <laughs> but we like you! Fuck you! <laughs> Just be our leader! <laughs> <laughs> right. Just so, fucking lead us! <laughs> <laughs> so he took office on November 13, 1781 and served until November 7, 1782. Now beginning his term with a proclamation against vice and immorality, he sought ways to bring an end to the disorder of the days of the revolution. Now, it was a popular position and enhanced his reputation both in Delaware and Pennsylvania. They're so close. Delaware and Pennsylvania are like so close together. When I left um, Philadelphia to go to D.C. with Monica, mm-hmm. we actually drove through Delaware. Oh, boy. I went. Delaware. I, I went in, pulled in, I went, hi. Delaware. I'm in 
Delaware. <laughs> Delaware. I got a friend who lives in Delaware, and I want to go visit him. He's a history and law professor. <laughs> One of the guys I met on Civil War pages. Yeah. Delaware. And now Dickinson then successfully challenged the Delaware General Assembly to address lagging militia enlistments and to the property and to properly fund the state's assessment to the Confederation government. And recognizing the delegate negotiations then underway to end the American Revolution, he secured the Assembly's continued endorsement of the French alliance with no agreement on a separate peace treaty with Great Britain. Peace treaty. He also introduced the first census. Uh, the census. What a pain in the ass. Uh, yeah. They give you that paper or whatever, and then they're like, you got to fill it out, it's so long. How many people are in your household? Like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, how many people are under the age of 18? Yeah. It's like, damn it, can I just say I didn't see this? Can I say that I'm the retarded brother that lives in the basement yeah. who's deformed? I like corn dogs! Yeah. Bread makes you poop. <laughs> I can count a potato. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. However, as before, the lure of Pennsylvania politics was too great. So on October 10, 1782, he was elected to the Supreme Executive Council of Pennsylvania. On November 7, 1782, a joint ballot by the Council and the Pennsylvania General Assembly elected him as president of the council and thereby president of Pennsylvania. Today we call that... president of Pennsylvania. Today we call that the governor. The governor of the Hershey Highway. But he did not actually resign as the president of Delaware. (laughs) He's running two states. Even though Pennsylvania and Delaware had shared the same governor until very recently, attitudes had changed and many in Delaware were upset at seemingly being cast aside so readily, particularly after the Philadelphia newspapers began criticizing the state for allowing the practice of multiple and non-resident office holding. (laughs) Say that again. Okay. Delaware felt upset that he went to Pennsylvania. But Pennsylvania was like, well, hey, look, you have people that don't even live in the fucking state running state offices. Oh, shit. So how in the hell can you bitch? Yeah. Okay, all right. And they also held multiple offices. (laughs) (laughs) So they're just like, um... Yours is in the paper. Yeah. So his constitutional successor, John Cook, was considered too weak in his support of the revolution, and it wasn't until January 12th, or 1783, when Cook called for a new election to choose a replacement, that John finally decided, eh, I'm going to resign. Yeah. You're going to get a new person in here while well, I'm done. There. Wipe my hands of the whole thing. Hmm. So when the revolution began, he was fairly represented in the center of Pennsylvania politics. 
Now, the old proprietary and popular parties divided equally in thirds over the issue of independence as loyalist, moderate wit, and moderate Whigs, who later became federalists, and radicals or constitutionalists. The old General Assembly was dominated by loyalists and moderates and, like Dickinson, did little to support the burgeoning revolution or independence except to protest. Well, you don't like this. Stop. Um, I'm sorry, but the British Crown is objecting to us. And they're overtaxing us on I tea. I feel triggered. And I'm triggered over all this. <laughs> and I'm just offensive over all of it. Yeah. So the radicals took matters into their own hands using irregular means to write the Pennsylvania Constitution of 1776, which by law excluded from the franchise anyone who would not swear loyalty to the document or to the Christian Holy Trinity. <laughs> if you do not swear allegiance to our Constitution and to God, Beer, and Dale Earnhardt. Yeah. Even though NASCAR hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> right. It Dude. runs in our DNA. <laughs> Soon the inventor. Oh, will wait, be no. Born. This is Philadelphia, so it's. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a. Uh, the Eagles, Philly Cheese Steaks, and Hershey Kisses, and Rocky Balboa. Yeah. <laughs> Hershey Kisses, Beef Steaks, and Rocky Balboa. Yeah. In this way, all Loyalists, moderate Whigs, and Quakers were kept out of the government. Now, this preemptory action seemed to appropriate too many. Or, or seems to appropriate too many during the crises of 1777 and 1778, but less so in the later years of the Revolution, and the moderates gradually became the majority. Yeah, Quakers. Most people don't even like oatmeal anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I like oatmeal. It's not too bad. A little brown sugar and butter. Yeah, I've tried oatmeal. That's good. Some of that instant stuff. Quaker, I really, it don't matter the brand. Now, his election to the Supreme Executive Council... Are you talking about the oak guy, Quaker? <laughs> you know, Nixon was a Quaker. Nixon was a Quaker? Yeah. What? Man. The second biggest presidential crook, he was a Quaker. His skin must have just burned all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the evilest Quaker I've ever seen. Yeah, right. What was it? There was a there was a joke set on SVU about that. They said Quake Nixon was a Quaker. He put people in jail, and Elliot goes, "Yeah, some of them were guilty." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Dickinson's election to the Supreme Executive Council was the beginning of a counter revolution against the Constitutionalists. He was elected president of Pennsylvania on November seventh, seventeen eighty two. Garnering 41 votes to James Potter's 32. As president, he presided over the intentionally weak executive authority of the state and was his chief officer, but always required the agreement of a majority to act. He was re-elected twice and served the constitutional maximum of three years, 
His election on November 6, 1783 was unanimous. On November 6, 1784, he defeated John Neville, who lost the election for vice president the same day. You lose two elections in one day, just give it up. No shit. Now, working with only the smallest of majorities in the General Assembly in his first two years and with the Constitutionalist in the majority in his last year, all issues were contentious. At first, he endured withering attacks from his opponents for his alleged failure to fully support the new government in large and small ways. Well, he responded ably and survived the attacks. He managed to settle quickly the old boundary dispute with Virginia in southwestern Pennsylvania, but was never able to satisfactorily disentangle dispute titles in the Wyoming Valley resulting from prior claims of Connecticut to those lands. An exhausted Dickinson left office October 18, 1785. On that day, a special election was held in which Benjamin Franklin was unanimously elected to serve the 10 days left in Dickinson's term. Hmm. Oh, Ben Franklin was a pimp. Oh, yeah. That man was getting some action. Oh, yeah. I heard about his action-getting prowess. Oh, there's a scene in... um. In John Adams, where him and Adams are in, Par- in Paris to get the French to support us. Mm-hmm. And Franklin knew how to play the salon game that happened in French politics. Yeah. Well, there's a scene where Adams goes in to talk to Franklin. And Franklin's sitting in a bathtub with an old woman playing chess. <laughs> yeah. And Franklin's just like, yes, Mr. Adams. we got to clean up the pussy Now wash that ass. Perhaps the most significant decision of his term was his patient, peaceful management of the Pennsylvania Mutiny of 1783. Now this was a violent protest of Pennsylvania veterans who marched on the Continental Congress, demanding their pay before being discharged from the Army. Somewhat sympathizing with their case, Dickinson refused Congress's request to bring full military action against them, causing Congress to vote to remove them to remove themselves to Princeton, New Jersey. And when the new Congress agreed to return in 1790, it would be for only 10 years until a permanent capital is found elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Now... Yeah, I know. How dare some poor people get some money that they're owed? And it looks like, once again, I copied the exact same part. You're getting old. I know. It's just... Mm. I was going to... I'm going to have to pull up how he died. Or oh. when he died. Huh. Yeah, well... I don't know. I. It was hot in the basement. I think the heat got to me. Hey, I got a space heater and electric blanket now because it's fucking cold. <laughs> well, yeah, shit. It's, like... it, it's so cold down there, my bearded dragon went into hibernation twice. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, she uh, she went in around Halloween for a couple weeks, and she woke up for like three days and went, Daddy, it's too fucking cold. I'm going back to bed. Huh. Okay, girl. Turtle don't give a fuck. Yeah. Turtle's still splashing around in her water. Mm-hmm. 
what does the bearded dragon do when it goes into hibernation? Basically, what it does is it is she just curls up into her cage, or um. Basically, I got like a little cave that she sleeps in. Mm -hmm. So that's what she does. She just curls up in her cave and she sleeps. Hmm. I mean, I read about it, so I'm kind of like prepared for everything. So Dickinson died in Wilmington, at Wilmington, Delaware, and is buried in the Friends Burial Ground. Now, in an original copy of a letter discovered in November 2009 from Thomas Jefferson to Joseph Bringer, Bringhurst, caretaker of Dickinson in his later years, Jefferson responded to news of Dickinson's death, is quoted as saying, A more estimable, estimable man a true a, or truer patriot could not have left us. Among the first of the advocates for the rights of his country, when assailed by Great Britain, he continued to the last the orthodox advocate of the true principles of our new government, and his name will be consecrated in history as one of the great worthies of the free of the revolution. Now he shares with Thomas McKeon the distinction of serving as chief executive of both Del Delaware and Pennsylvania after the Declaration of Independence. Dickinson College and Dickinson School of Law, now of the Pennsylvania State University, Separate institutions, each operating a camp campus located in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and on land inherited and managed by his wife, Mary, were named for him. Hmm. Dickinson, oh, sorry, Dickinson College was originally named John and Mary's College, but was renamed to avoid an implication of royalty by confusion with the William and Mary College. Along with his letters from a farmer in Pennsylvania, he also authored the Liberty Song. Now, Dickinson Street in Madison, Wisconsin is named for him, and so is John Dickinson High School in Milltown, Delaware, and Dickinson Hall of the University of Delaware. Now, I'm trying to see what... Uh, apparently, it was declining health because he... Uh, we can get um get an exact date here on the death. Oh, he died in uh on Valentine's Day, eighteen oh eight. Wow. Yeah, he was seventy five years old when he died. Hmm. Which is a feat for that era. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you were lucky if you made it to fifty. Yeah. If some disease didn't come and kill you. But, yeah, that's John Dickinson, one of our one of our founding fathers. Little known. Yeah. Like I said, I came across the name when I was reading in um, in Revolutionary Summer, and I was like, wait, who is this person? Yeah. So that train of thought there responding to this episode. Cool. Yeah. I've been doing that a lot lately with some of the books I'm reading. I find little little tidbits. I'm like, well, what's this thread? Mm -hmm. And then I look into it and I spin it into an episode for the show. Cool. Yeah, and also it helps educate you. Yeah. <laughs> More 
more useless crap that I don't need. <laughs> hey, it could be helpful on Jeopardy. Because they're doing their... Are they, are they still doing their Tournament of Champions? Yeah. Actually, uh, tonight, I think... Emma... I don't know if Emma and... Uh, I hate her. And... Uh, James Howell, uh, oh, yeah. go head to head tonight, or well, not did head they, to head, but do they bring back head the, to head to head? You know, do they bring back the? Do they bring back Ken? No, 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 because it's just the oh the, the champions of last season. Okay, you know, or whatever. So, well, I don't know. Alex is dying. Huh? Alex Trebek his his cancer is not in remission. It's coming oh, yeah, back hard. Yeah. Pancreatic is fucking yeah. hard on you, man. You know who I said they should bring in once he finally goes? It's, it's not pancreatic. It's, it's one of them that's just real difficult to cure. Yeah, I think it is pancreatic. I but, can't remember. Uh, you know, I was uh, talking to my brother about him, like, because he, sometimes he watches Jeopardy. I'm like, you know who they should get in to replace Alec Trebek? Will Ferrell. He mm. could come, he could just do Alex Trebek impressions the whole time. Yeah, but I think that would be... Right. I don't know. Who could they... Because we need someone to respect Alex Trebek's memory. Because fucking Alex Trebek is Is like the the fucking man, dude. Well, it's like Pat Sajak. Who's going to take over Wheel of Fortune when he finally killed? Pat Sajak's in his 70s and she's in her 60s. Well, Vanna should take it over. And they should get a guy flipping the fucking letters. <laughs> and, you well, know, I mean, Vanna's and then when she dies, maybe robots. Sajak's son or something. Bring in robots <laughs> yeah. and get Disney on it. Hi, I am Pat Sajak. Welcome to Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap this one up, folks. Uh, we're on Anchor, our new home for the show. <laughs> Uh, all your major podcasting apps and Apple Podcasts. <laughs> um, we got a Facebook page. Join us there. Hey, Brian, we didn't forget you. Do your fucking job. <laughs> Do it. Do it. And for the smart ass historian, I am Scotty J. I'm Jeff. Catch you later, folks. Bye. <laughs>